MRCC, thanks for joining us online. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun to be here together, even if it is online. Um, but if you're new with us, we'd love to connect with you. So if you're watching live with us, go ahead and click the prompt in the chat. But if you're not, you can feel free to go to our church website and connect with us that way. Right, we are a family and we want you to feel a part of the family. Even though we don't always see you face to face, yeah. uh, we're excited that you're here and we want you to be a part of the MRCC family. So yeah. get connected, right? Yeah. Yep. And there's uh, great stuff happening. We actually have some stuff on the calendar we want to tell you about. Woo the first thing that's coming up uh, really close, it's this week, is a back to school night really excited for this back to school night because I, I feel like the start of this school year may, may feel a little anticlimactic for a yeah. lot of families. Very different. Yeah, mm -hmm. it really is. And we just want you to know this is really for all families, kindergarten to 12th grade all the way through. Um, and it's not just for community needs, although we're excited to be able to help meet some of the needs in our community, mm -hmm. uh, but it's also for everybody. I think kids in general just uh, need something uh, to kick off the school year. So we have some fun stuff to give kids and families as they come uh, mm -hmm. and just make it fun make kind of a fun celebration to the start of the school year. Yeah. So join us uh, on Thursday, September 3rd at 6 p.m. Perfect. And another event we have coming up that's starting again that we've done before in the past is Love and Respect. It's for married couples and it's led by Ty and Diane Rogel. And it's going to start September 17th, which is a Thursday, and it'll be every Thursday after that at 6.30 in the sanctuary. So, yeah, we're really excited about that. Yeah, we are. You know, I've heard a lot of great stories of people that have taken this class before, and they've really enjoyed it. There's been so much good that has come from it. Definitely. So we really encourage you to sign up and be a part of the class. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Another thing we have coming up is our women's ministry. Mm. Uh, ladies, come. Ooh. They're going to do a kickoff <laughs> on September 18th at 6.30 p.m. Uh, really, it's an opportunity to gather together as women, to be encouraged together by mm. other women, uh, but also a way for you to see what women's ministries will be doing throughout this year. Uh, there's multiple ways for women to get connected, so we want to give you all the details there too. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then for the guys, we were going to have our Band of Brothers golf tournament yesterday, but now we're postponing that till September 26th. So it's still happening. And if you have any questions, you can feel free to call the church office. We're here for you. And it gives us a little more time to sign up for a tea time. I don't know, it might get more people. All those guys who forgot to sign up. There you go, yeah, plenty of time. Right. Yeah. And of course, we also want you to know that your pastors are here for you. The office is open Monday through Thursday from nine to four. Feel free to call. Um, because while we can't see you face-to-face -face specifically right now, we know that there are some needs in our family. And because we're a family, we want to be able to join together and help each other out. So we have a full benevolence team that assesses every call that comes in, how we might be able to help. So mm -hmm. please, uh, if there's anything that you need, don't hesitate to reach out and give us a call. Yeah. yeah. And as a church family, one of the greatest things we can do is worship our Lord together. So let's worship. Amen. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, church. Welcome to worship this morning. Let us stand before our God, declare His goodness and His greatness. Father, we rest in Your presence and Your faithfulness, Lord. We lift up the name of Jesus today. So we worship, we worship, we worship You. Would you sing with us, church? He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Yes. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare His praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Let's lift it up, church. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. 
Let us not forget. Yeah. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, Yahweh. Come on, church. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah, yeah, hallelujah. 
cloud by day is a sign that you are with me. The fire by night is the guiding light to my feet. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh,
Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God That's our declaration and our prayer We remember That all my life you have been faithful yes, All my life you have been so the goodness of God. Amen. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. Dark is high. You are close like no other. Yes, God. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend.
calls us his own. Amen. So as his sons and daughters, let's declare that. Remember who we belong to. Come on. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Let's lift this up, church. thank you for that. We thank you for this gift that you offer. Identity, family. Father, you offer us redemption. What more can we offer you but this praise? Church, we know that this is a difficult time for so many of us, but let us not forget this precious gift. Let us keep our eyes fixed on the gift of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, Father, we worship you. We thank you for this gift and found that's found in Jesus. We thank you for this family that you've adopted us into as sons and daughters of God. And in it, we come alive. It is why our hearts and our souls come alive in worship. 
We were made for this. So Father, it is our prayer that your presence would fill the hearts and homes of everybody attending right now. That your Lordship would reign. That the truth of who you are would reign and would outshine any worry or burden or sickness or illness or fear right now as we surrender it to your feet right there at the foot of the cross. Jesus, you call us your own. And we look forward to your promise. We look to you. In Jesus, we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, thank you so much for gathering with us online today to praise our amazing God. Oh, yeah. Pastor Weston, the worship team, thank you. That is what we are, the children of God. You know, friends, the Bible says that you and I are the children of God. It hasn't yet been revealed to the world around us who we are in that sense, but it will be revealed. It's only a matter of time before you hear God call you son, daughter, in an audible voice as he takes us to his home. I am a child of God. We are the children of God. Rejoice in that. Thank you, Pastor Weston and the worship team for helping us remember that, helping us feel that. And, and friends, I want to ask you, if you would, to just bow your heads with me right now and pray. We have much to pray about, and we are God's royal priesthood, his chosen people who, who are called to pray for the world around us. And I want to invite you to bow your head with me right now. Let's do that together. Father God, we come to you today humbly. And we come, God, confessing our sins. Lord, our, our land is broken. God, we saw that video this week of of another man suffering so terribly and and we don't know the story but it it's horrible God and and we saw this week those riots that accomplished nothing God in response and when we see that we know Lord that our land needs healing and and so we pray for that, God. We, we ask for an end to this virus. We pray that in Jesus' name. We, we pray for our bodies to be healthy. But, but even more, God, we pray that you would heal our souls, our spirits, that you would heal our community, God, that you would reveal to us clearly, even beyond our willingness to see it, that you are the answer to our agony, that when we turn to you from our sins, we find grace and we find hope and we find the power that can heal our land. And, and so, Father, we pray for that this morning. We ask for that today. Uh, we look to you because you are our hope and our salvation. And we thank you for your Father heart that always hears us when we come to you like this. God, we. I pray right now, we pray for, for so many who are alarmed and worried and afraid about what they're seeing in the world around them. Help them to remember, even this morning, that you are on the throne, that you are sovereign, that you will have the last word. I, I pray for those who are sad or anxious 
or worried, God, that you would deliver us into the strong and peaceful faith of resting in your finished work, Jesus. And we ask too today that uh, as we open your word together that you would help us to hear your spirit who comes to teach us. Help us right now to have ears to hear. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again. Glad you could join us. Uh, I want to invite you to grab your Bible and open it to, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And let's get ready to hear from Jesus, from the Spirit of God together in this next 20, 25 minutes or so. And, and while you're turning in your Bible to Matthew, chapter 13, let me ask you a question. When you were growing up, did you have any sibling rivalry in your family? You know what sibling rivalry is? It's when brothers and sisters are kind of jockeying to see who's best or to prove themselves to one another or maybe to mom and dad or whoever. But sibling rivalry is incredibly common. Most families experience it. It's just human nature for kids to compete against each other. And, and I know firsthand that sometimes it can make a fool out of you. It did me. I remember when I was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old and, and our family was camping on a summer weekend like this along the Mackenzie River in Oregon, not far from where we grew up. And, and we found this camping spot. We were kind of isolated and alone and, and uh, it was just a, one of those spots that you immediately fall in love with as a kid and right by the river. And, and uh, when we unloaded the car and stuff, we noticed that there was this huge boulder in the river, right? close to where we were going to camp and it was probably uh, 25 feet high at least it seemed that way to a 10 or 11 year old and and my brother and I saw it and we both had the same idea at the same moment and the idea was that we would climb up there and jump off it um, but after you know getting up there my brother maybe a little wiser than me thought better of it he decided not to jump off it and I in that moment saw an opportunity out of sibling rivalry to maybe one up my brother. And so I said, well, I'm jumping off and uh, I, I, I summoned up my courage, took a flying leap off that boulder into the river and my family remembers to this day that I shouted, Geronimo, I don't know where that came from, but that's what happened. And in the moment that I leaped, a part of me said, you know what, you probably shouldn't have done this. And that feeling only grew because when I, when I landed in the river, suddenly I couldn't feel the bottom on my landing and I began to panic. And in the moment that I set out to one-up my brother, everything suddenly shifted because now I was screaming for help, terrified and thinking that I had endangered myself. And, and what made it even worse was while I was screaming like that, my dad on the shore was looking at me and laughing. And my sisters and my mom were looking at me and laughing. And in that moment, it felt so cruel. I thought, how can they be laughing? And my dad shouted and he said, Greg, put your feet down, stand up. And because I didn't know what else to do, I put my feet down and that's when I discovered that the water I had jumped into was about three and a half feet deep, maybe four feet deep. And my panic had been completely unnecessary and in fact was to this, is to this day the subject of laughter in my family. I had made a fool out of myself. But I have to tell you this, in that moment when my feet went down and felt the solid rock in the river, 
That was a great feeling. That was a great feeling of relief and rescue and safety. In the same way, we can get so alarmed about our situation, especially in the world today, that we forget to push our feet down onto the solid rock of Jesus' finished work for us. Down to the solid rock of Jesus' word to us. He reminds us that his word is more secure than the earth itself. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my word will not. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 62 verse 1. He said, my soul finds rest in God alone. For my salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. Take, take note to what the psalmist is describing there. It's a feeling very much like I felt when my feet came down on the rock in the river. He says, he alone is my rock and I will never be shaken. Let me ask you, do you feel like that these days? Most people don't. But a Father God wants you to feel like that. He wants you to know that security that I felt when my feet came down on the rock. And so this morning he wants to talk to us about that. You know, in the middle of the wild turmoil of Revelation, the book of Revelation in your Bible that describes the end times and the tribulation coming on the world. In the middle of all the turmoil of those visions of what's to come, with judgments and conflicts on every side, both supernatural and earthly, God pauses unexpectedly, right in the middle of everything, in Revelation chapter 14 verse 12, to tell us, to counsel us, how to overcome in the midst of the strife. How to react to all that turmoil and that chaos in the world. And here's what he says, Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. He says, this, Greg, all you're seeing, it calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. You know, when, when everything's flying around like it was in that moment of vision, that's not what we would expect God to say. We might think that there would be a call to arms, but there isn't. We might expect there would be an invitation to, to bunker up and hide, but there isn't. We might think God would exhort us maybe to shout down his enemies with fire and miracles like Elijah on Mount Carmel. But no. Instead, our Father God says, this calls for patient endurance. You see, church, God knows and he wants us to know that we overcome the chaos in our world by the kind of faith that resolves to endure, that is, aspires to endure. You know, in the end, mom, dad, your kids need your patient endurance almost more than they need anything else from you. They need the space and time that is created by your patient endurance so that they can grow up in their minds, in their hearts, 
in their knowledge of God. They need your patient endurance. And in the same way, God calls us to be steady in times like this so that our message about faith in Him, about His Son, Jesus Christ, about the, the gospel that saves us from these times, so that our message will be clear as a bell. You know, Jesus talked about this business of patiently enduring often. The Holy Spirit emphasizes it constantly in your Bible, often calling it perseverance, sometimes calling it patient endurance. And followers of Jesus are very clearly called to aspire to it. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. In, in Matthew chapter 13, where I invited you to turn, Jesus is talking about that. Let me give you a little context, and then we'll, we'll hear him directly. The context of this moment in Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 18, is that Jesus is telling stories, parables, in which he is teaching whoever's willing to learn about how the kingdom of God works in the world about how the kingdom of God functions in and among us. And when the disciples heard him telling a story about a farmer who went out to sow seed and it landed on different kinds of soil and, and responded in different ways, when they heard him tell that story, they came and they said, Lord, explain this parable to us. We want to understand this better. We want to understand this more deeply. And, and Jesus explained it to him. That's what we're going we're gonna to read here, or share together, is Jesus' explanation of his parable. But before we do that, understand this. God will always teach whoever wants to know. If you want to know what he's saying and you ask him, he'll teach you. That's what he does. To this day, that's what his Holy Spirit does. Jesus said, everyone who asks, seeks, or knocks, finds and learns. And, and the disciples were doing that in this moment. And so, so Jesus explains the parable very specifically. He makes it very clear. Look at verse 18 and following. The Lord is speaking and he says this. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the Lord says there are those who, who, who just don't understand or aren't willing to understand or receive the message that he's bringing. Then he says the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth the worries and the lust for wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, and he produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times more than what was sown. In other words, to put it very bluntly, Jesus is saying lots of people start following him. Only a few finish. Now, the good news is that the ones who finish more than make up for those who don't. But what Jesus is saying, really, in this parable, to me, to us, is he's saying, which will you be? Which one of these word pictures will describe your choices, your life, your faith? 
You know, the seed sown along the path, the first seed that we talked about in verse 19, that's a picture of people who become deceived by the lies about life that fill our world, that make up our culture and our society in so many ways. And Jesus says they're promoted by the devil. There is a real supernatural enemy at work in the world. He functions by propagating lies. Lies about where joy is found, lies about where peace is found, lies about what will satisfy us, lies about what is meaningful, lies about what is right and wrong on the most fundamental levels. And then later, he talks about the seed that gets choked out by worries and a lust for wealth. Worrying is what happens when you choose not to believe what Jesus tries to teach you. Worrying is a consequence of paying too little attention to what he is saying. And the, the desires for wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth, that's a picture of, uh, of what happens to people who, who choose to try and create a substitute for God in their lives in the form of success. It's, it's, it's silly from a financial standpoint because you can't keep the money. <laughs> Every one of us is going to be parted from it, whether willingly or unwillingly. We don't take it out of this life and into eternity. But in the middle, and that's where we want to focus this morning, in the middle Jesus talks about people who, who hear the Word of God, the Gospel, and receive it with joy at first. But they only last a short time, he said, because they have no root. They never let the gospel dig down into their souls and take hold of their secret places. For them, you know, faith, religion, church, gospel, for them, it's just a quick fix for a bad mood or a way to, to try and make a deal with God to get what they think they want. Or, or maybe just a hobby that they're interested in for a little while, like a, like a new video game. Jesus says, sure, they, they begin with joy, but because there are no roots, they don't last. Luke puts it this way in his Gospel, chapter 8, verse 13. He says, they receive the word with joy when they hear it, and they believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. And again, he says it's because they never put down roots. For our purposes today, we would say they don't endure. They quit. They turn back. Like an immature child, they reveal that they were always more interested in excitement than endurance. Anyone who tries to parent like that will quickly find out it's a road to nowhere. And that's the challenge that he's giving to every one of us because, friends, understand, the best parts of life and love come with time as a result of patient endurance. That's how a marriage flourishes, or a family, or a friendship, or your faith. Kansas basketball coach Bill Self has said memorably, somehow we must choose to be disciples instead of inspiration junkies. <laughs> There's great depth and perception and insight in that statement. Jesus calls us to patient endurance because that is the road to what we were always looking for when we responded to him in the first place. You know, our, uh, our local quarterback with the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, you know who he is, is one of the very best and may end up at the end of his career being counted among the best of all time. He's certainly headed to the Hall of Fame. 
He's renowned for being unflappable. Those of us who are Seahawks fans, we've seen it over and over again. He just never panics. He never loses self-control. Matter of fact, there's a wonderful moment in the playoff game against the Vikings a few years ago when the ball is snapped over his head. It's a playoff game. Everything's on the at stake. It's a close game. The ball's snapped over his head. He has to run back chasing it. And if you look at the video clip, it's amazing because he wasn't ready for it to be snapped. The center was off schedule and he snaps it over his head and Wilson turns with all these guys chasing him to go get the ball. And if you watch, while he's doing that, he carefully puts his mouthpiece back in and picks up the fumble, scrambles around and, and makes a completion for a first down. How he would be able to think of putting his mouthpiece back in in a moment like that, who knows? But he did. He has this unflappability, this capacity for patient endurance. And asked about it, he always responds the same way. He has a sort of a mantra. And here's what he says, winning is a habit. In other words, it flows from an ambition that chooses to build habits. So too does strong faith. Have you made patient endurance your ambition? That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. Remember what God says again there in Revelation chapter 14. In the midst of the chaos, he says, Greg, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to him. Like me in the river that day, lots of people are worried and afraid these days. But when we aim for patient endurance, like God tells us, we find the ability to overcome. Jesus told this parable because he wants me. He invites you to aim for patient endurance. He knows that we will find our greatest joy and satisfaction in finishing this race of faith not just starting it. At the end of the story in Luke's Gospel, the Lord adds this, uh, verse 15, chapter 8. He says, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. By patiently enduring, they overcome. God promises that my life and yours will be fruitful and will bring him glory and that we will discover the kind of rich meaning in our lives that echoes in eternity as well as here on earth if we choose to aim for endurance. I read a remarkable story recently about a man named William Leslie. In 1912, Brother Leslie went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner of the jungles of Congo along the Kwailu River. He felt called by the Lord to that place and that time and he obeyed. And for, for 17 years he served in those dense jungles, teaching and preaching, sharing and serving, promoting literacy and building the first network of schools for children that those tribal peoples had ever known. But after 17 years when he returned from that missionary assignment, in his own heart he felt that he had not accomplished much. He felt that despite his faithfulness, only a few had received Jesus as their Savior and he had not made the difference that he wanted to. But years later, a team from Tom Cox World Ministries returned to that very same area, that very same jungle, and they were stunned at what they found. 
in that dense jungle area where William Leslie served, they discovered no fewer than 84 healthy Christian churches in 84 different villages that had grown from the few disciples that he had made. Each church had its own choir. Each choir was composing its own original worship songs in their native language and they would gather with the choirs from other villages and have sing-offs and, and work to preach the gospel. They found that the people had turned a 1,000-seat stone ruin into a cathedral for worshiping together. William Leslie had accomplished far more than anyone dared dream. He is a superhero of our faith, who, like Abraham, did not see the fruit of his labor, but patiently endured and ended up living a life that any of us would be envious of. He gets to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. All who have allowed themselves to long for his appearing. To aim for the patient endurance. You know, you don't get to where he got by obsessing over whether or not your faith makes you feel good today. You get there by aiming higher. Here's what it looks like to aim for endurance. And then we'll talk about how we get there and, and wind things up together. Here's what it looks like to aim for endurance. Instead of asking what you'll get from a job or a marriage or a friendship, or really any commitment, you ask what you will become as a result of it. Who will it turn you into? How will it grow you and transform you? Instead of asking God to make your situation enjoyable, you ask Him to make you a blessing to someone else. That's what it looks like to aim for patient endurance. Instead of wanting God to make you feel excited all the time, you ask him to help you do good, whether you feel excited about it or not. And instead of seeking the praise of people, instead of trying to get noticed, you seek the praise of God because you know that his praise is forever. So the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, in a moment we're going to talk about how you learn that kind of endurance. But the first step, friends, is to aim for it, to choose it, to make it your ambition, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says. To say to yourself and to say to your Savior, your Lord, this is what I want to do. God, I want to finish. I don't just want to start. I want to get to the end. You know, when Ron and I were newlyweds, young people who were brand new believers, we learned that God's plan for our marriage was for life. I have to tell you, I didn't really know that when we got married. And Rhonda aspired to that, but she didn't understand that that was God's plan for us. And when we discovered that, we looked at each other and said, okay, it is our goal. That is our goal. 50 years for sure, Lord willing. 60 years if we can. 75 if we're really blessed. Next month is 36. We're getting there. Some of you are much further along. 
But there's, catch this, there's been a million times along the way when that goal shaped our choices. It shaped the choices that we made. How to handle things, how to respond to each other, how to serve each other. That goal informed our choices. We came to understand that in God's perfect plan, there was no way out of this marriage short of adultery or physical abuse. And so we never did and said the things that can't be undone or unsaid. Instead, in those moments, we said, hey, our goal is forever. So let, let's allow that to inform what I say in this moment. Let's allow that to inform what I do in this moment. It makes all the difference when that's your ambition, when that is the goal you've accepted, owned, and chosen. You know, I love what uh, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, said. You're probably familiar with it. Always gets a chuckle. She was once asked if during their marriage she ever considered divorce. And she said, no, I can honestly say I never did. I considered murder a few times, but never divorce. <laughs> but you get the idea. It's that choice to pursue patient endurance that God is inviting you and me to, that Jesus is challenging you and me to. Now the second step, the second step is every bit as significant and important, and here's what it is. It's to remember, friends, this is a big deal. It's to remember that small sacrifices are enough to connect with God's power. Small daily choices and sacrifices are enough to connect with God's power. So, so often in times of turmoil and chaos, we're looking for the big choices, the, the once and for all decisions or directions that will, will fix our situation. But God says the small choices you make each day are enough. And there's a marvelous story in 1 Kings chapter 17 about the prophet Elijah. He's dealing with a famine in the land. There's not enough food, and he doesn't know where to find food. And God tells him to go meet a widow in a certain town, and she go, he goes there. But when he meets her, he finds out that she's about to use the last little bit of flour and the last little bit of oil that she has to make a last meal for her and her son. And she says, after that, I guess we'll just die. And Elijah steps into that moment and he says to her, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says to her, he says, you know what? When you make that meal, make a little for me, and God will meet you in it. And if you'll do that, that little jar of flour will never run out. That little jar of oil will never run out. And you know, from her perspective, that probably sounded crazy. She had so little, it wasn't even enough for her and her son. Elijah said, share it. God will meet you in it. And she did, and he did. The jar never ran out. The oil never ran out. Both her and her son and Elijah were fed through the famine. Here's the way the prophet put it. He said, don't be afraid. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry. Humanly speaking, her small sacrifice didn't seem like enough to solve the situation. But in that small act of faith, God's power met her, just as it will us. You know, you see the same story when Jesus feeds the 5,000. He turns to the disciples. He said, we need food for all these people. They said, we haven't got any. And then one boy with a lunch, 
a few barley loaves, a few fish, offers it. Jesus says, I'll take that. And then he multiplies it to feed everyone. Small sacrifices are enough. Patient endurance comes when you know, when you understand, when you believe that small sacrifices, the little choices you make every day are enough to intersect with the power of God. That's where faith becomes everyday practical. When you grab that, you discover the ability to patiently endure. So what does that look like practically, kind of day to day and week to week? Let's finish the last five minutes talking about that. I'm going to give you five things. If you're taking notes, write these down. We're almost done. How do we get there? How does this happen on Monday through Friday? Here we go. Number one, submit to God's training. Understand that this difficult season is part of his training you and building your faith. James puts it this way in chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of it, develops perseverance. There's that endurance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, there's a unique lesson that we learn from accepting God's way of teaching us patient endurance. You know, this season of virus and everything else is a trial. It'll either make you or break you, depending on how you choose to see it. If you choose to see it as a trial to build your faith, then you will engage with the power of God in the midst of it. You know, I wouldn't trade my time in the Marine Corps for anything even though I would be very reluctant to do it all over again. Because in that time, I learned how to persevere. And as the years have gone by, that lesson has become the most precious one to me from that experience. In the same way, God says, consider it pure joy because I'm teaching you perseverance. And perseverance will make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. It will make you an overcomer. Number two is, is to learn day to day to play more offense than defense. Here's how the Bible puts it in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, there is a burst of spiritual energy that flows into you when you find a way to do good for someone else, to help them or to bless them. You know, this week uh, with Pastor Dave down sick, kind of battling through some serious illness, things were crazy. The, a whole bunch of people were in the hospital or dealing with serious issues, stuff that normally our pastoral care leader, uh, Pastor Dave, handles. And when all that was going on, I was getting pretty overwhelmed early in the week and, and and I just reached out and I asked Mike and Mary Lou McDougall if they would deliver a dinner to a struggling family in the midst of everything. When I asked him, his whole face lit up and he left the office with a big smile, knowing that he could make a difference, that he could do something good that would matter. He was still smiling when he got to work the next day. God knows this about us and so he says, don't be overcome by evil, overcome it with good. Play offense, not just defense. 
You know, coming up this week on Thursday, we have a back-to-school night in support of parents. When we as a church are gathering to serve parents facing this challenge of online learning for uh, the fall, haircuts and photos and supplies and tools and help in so many ways that, that some of us are supplying to others of us. And, and everyone who's volunteering and serving on that night, it's this Thursday, by the way, everybody who's volunteering and serving on that night said, wow, yes, I'll do that because it'll make a difference and, and that feels good. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good, God says. The third thing, you've heard it before. Turn off the noise. <laughs> you know, here's what the news does when you listen to it constantly and relentlessly. It invests you emotionally in things you have no power over. Think about that. It invests you emotionally in things you have no power over. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 says this, The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Far too many of us are trying to solve our society's problems in Washington, D.C. or wherever and completely ignoring our neighbors. And as a consequence, we lack the power to overcome. It's easy to be deceived into thinking your calling in life is to vote properly. And, and that's easy because you don't have to engage your neighbor or your enemy, not personally. But Jesus calls us to love our neighbors, those nearest us, to live local, to put it another way. G.K. Chesterton uh, humorously pointed out that the Bible calls us to love our neighbors and also our enemies because often they're the same people. <laughs> but seriously, if you want to follow Jesus, ask him what you can do for your neighbor. The real question isn't how do we control what we're going through. That wasn't God's point in Revelation chapter 14. The real question is who will we be in the midst of it? And this is our chance. This is your chance. Turn off the noise and get in touch with your neighbor, with what you can do with real living people whose eyes you can look into and make a difference with. Number four, stay connected to the body. Romans chapter 12 verse 5 says this, So in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Friends, a healthy body is one where all the members give life to one another. You need to receive it from your church. You need to give it back to your church. Spiritually speaking, God says that you and I are a living body, the very body of Christ, and, and that we prosper together or we fail together. We succeed together or we suffer together. And knowing that, knowing that, helps you to understand how important it is that you remain connected with your body, whether online or in person. Next week on the 13th, we'll be back to meeting live and in person, masks and all that stuff so that we look out for each other. Find a way to remain connected to your body. You know, most of you know that I have the, the weird experience of MS in which parts of my body sometimes disconnect from other parts. I remember uh, the first onset of it and I, I tried to run up and down a gym floor and I couldn't because my legs weren't cooperating. Every time I tried to run, I fell down. I collapsed on the floor. It was very emotional for me, but it also brought home the reality that my body's a whole. If the legs aren't working, the rest of it suffers. God wants you and I to understand the same thing about ourselves spiritually. Stay connected to the body of Christ, whatever it takes. 
Again, whether online or in person, but understand how important it is to your ability to patiently endure. And then finally, the last thing is to put your feet down on the rock in your river. Here's what Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and following says to you and I as the children of God. The Bible says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Hear that, church. That is a Father God wanting you to understand He's got this. He's got you. He will see you through it all the way to the end. Put your feet down on that rock. God means for you to feel what I felt in that moment when my feet came down on the rock. Suddenly I understood, oh, I'm okay. I'm safe. There's something under my feet. You know, I love the story. It's one of my favorite stories of a reporter in 1930s Georgia who went to the circus, something he had never seen before, and for the first time in his life encountered the high wire act at the circus. You've seen this before. You know what I'm talking about. And he was amazed, stunned by what he saw done by this team of people so high, so dangerously high in the air. And afterwards, he went backstage and asked to, to interview the trapeze team, the uh, high wire act, so that so he could write about it. And, and when the, the lead performer came out, they sat down and talked. And partway through the interview, the reporter said this. He said, man, how do you do that? I'd be terrified, he said. I, I don't think I can even keep control of any part of myself, let alone have perfect balance and conduct all those maneuvers and acrobatics and stuff that you're doing up there. He says, how do you do that? I look up at you and I can't imagine where you find the courage and the ability to do that. And he was surprised when the high wire artist he was talking to laughed. And he said, hey, let me tell you a little trick of our trade. He said, you know, when you were watching me out there, your, your head was tilted up. You were looking at me way up in the air on that high wire. He said, do you know what I see from where I am? The reporter said, what? The guy said, the net. There's a huge net down there. Go look. There's a giant net. What's the worst thing that can happen if I fall off the high wire? I land in a net. Mildly embarrassing. I get up and do it again. All of you are looking up at me and thinking I'm defying death. The truth is I couldn't be safer. There's a net. God calls us to live like that. He invites you and me to live like that in faith because of the finished work of Jesus. This is our time, church, to walk in patient endurance, overcoming the turmoil because we know who holds us in his hands, who has built a net that we are safe in. Would you pray with me? right now. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you would help us to hear it, to receive it, and to believe it, to trust in what you have said to us more than we trust anything else in this world. God, send us from here with the reality that there's a net echoing in our hearts. And maybe as you listen right now, you would say, I, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't know about this net. I certainly don't feel it or see it. Well, understand this. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple. It says that when you receive Him as your Savior, when you believe in Him, then God makes you His own. And Jesus' work on the cross becomes a net under you that keeps you safe from everything forever, that brings eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and the love of God as your Father. In this moment right now, you can respond to God's invitation to know Him as Father. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I receive your Son as my Savior. It seems like such a tiny thing to say and do. But God says that when you respond to Him like that, He calls you His own. He makes you His own. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a tiny thing, but once planted, it grows to become the largest tree in the garden. In the same way, you choose to receive Jesus as your Savior right now. That seed will go into your soul and become the greatest gift in your life. You can do that right now. He's listening. He hears you. He loves you. Father, we thank you for your word today. Send us back out, aiming for patient endurance, knowing that our small sacrifices make all the difference. Teach us to walk in faith that others might know you as we do. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us, friends. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God patiently enduring. Tell someone you love.